Amen. <laughs> Did you guys notice on that new song, Carl flipped his, and he caught it. No. He did. He caught it and in rhythm hit the. Did the you ride. really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, pretty good. It's the first time ever. <laughs> ever. Well, usually somebody in the front row gets it. Yeah, they do. I do remember. I do remember. That's still in litigation, I think, right now. <laughs> well, guys, it's good to be with you today. For those of you that are here and those that are watching uh, online. Uh, we are in week 54, or 54, yes, of our series. There's so many of them, I'm losing count. 54 of the Gospel of Mark. We're just going right through the whole Gospel. We're not going to stop until we're done. I've called this week's sermon, Freedom in the Temple. So, what would be your initial thought, your initial visceral gut reaction when I say the word submission? Does it just give you warm fuzzies? Is it right up there with latte? You know, submission. Just music to your ears? What about when I say the word authority? Does that take you to your natural happy place? Submission. Authority. Just very soothing. Calming. Reassuring. Satisfying. See, as Christians, we pretend that we understand the biblical concepts of submission and authority, even when it comes to government authority. But why is it, even as Christians, that if you're honest, that your visceral gut reaction when you first hear the word submission is a little negative, right? It's not automatically positive, like, submission, I love submission. That's great. Here's the problem, right? Sometimes submission to authority seems to mean, in our minds, even if we don't say it publicly, it means we're giving up power, especially control over our own lives. Sometimes now, sometimes submission is voluntary, which that probably makes the word submission or authority just a little more palatable, right? We can submit, and then if we don't like it, we can unsubmit until they fix what we didn't like, and then we'll submit again. So it's kind of voluntary submission and authority. That's cool, because we're still in charge. But then there's the times when submission is mandatory, especially when this mandatory submission doesn't align with our own personal agenda, be it financial, political, personal, And what begins to happen, whether we want to admit it or not, sometimes we respond to mandatory authority that doesn't fit our agenda with anger, but really that anger, you know what it really is? It's fear. It creates so much anxiety, for example, in Christians over one political outcome over another. Because it is fear of losing control, fear of losing power, fear of losing the ability to be able to say, yes, I agree with authority in that situation. And this fear, whether it's political, personal, financial, whatever it is, this fear results in and it creates a disdain for authority, which in turn breeds more fear. 
And as a result, we soon become, emotionally speaking, we become slaves to that fear. This is our natural propensity, right? We always have a level of distrust, especially in mandatory authority. We even do it to Jesus. So let's look at the passage today. It's Mark 11, chapter, uh, chapter 11, verses 27 through 33. <clears throat> and they came again to Jerusalem. This is day three of the Holy Week. This is Wednesday. And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple... The chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him, and they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. You answer me, and then I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Then why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, well, they were afraid of the people. For they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And Jesus said to them, well, neither will I tell you then by what authority I do these things. So we look at each passage in three applications. The first one is the history. What about man? What did he do and why and how did he do it? I want to talk about these frightened priests. So this is Temple Tuesday number two. Understand what happened, right? Remember, this is Passover week. It's the biggest week of the year for temple influence, temple commerce, temple popularity. It's Passover week. Every Jew that can make it is coming to Jerusalem to celebrate this Passover feast. Now, remember what happened the day before was Temple Tuesday, where Jesus drove out all the merchants that were in the temple courtyard, people trying to get rich off, off, off Passover, but did you know that wasn't the first time that Jesus cleared out the temple? He actually did it almost exactly three years to the day earlier. You can read about it in John chapter 2. A lot of people don't realize Jesus cleansed the temple of merchants twice. See, he began his ministry with this bold, political, cultural authority grab, this cultural challenge to earthly, mandatory authority. And he's actually going to be ending it in quite the same way. He starts at the beginning of his ministry with a temple cleansing, and he's ending it with a temple cleansing on Tuesday. Now, three years earlier, when he cleansed the temple, they asked him, by what authority do you do this? But see, back then, he didn't have a big following yet, so he wasn't that big of a threat. So he didn't really answer like to their liking then, but you know what? Then he was gone. Eh, that guy's nuts. Three years later, after all the miracles, the astonishing teaching throughout the region, healing Jews and Gentiles, and then Palm Monday. Remember, we celebrate Palm Sunday, but it's actually on a Monday. He comes into Jerusalem with all those people celebrating, calling him Messiah. After all of that, he is the most popular man in the region, perhaps even the world. Now, he's a real threat. Three years later, though, he adds something to that temple cleansing. He took over that same courtyard for a full day. And he was teaching how his temple will not be a den of thieves, but it will be a house of prayer for all nations. Jesus is fearless, isn't he? I mean, he goes right to the heart and the nature of the corruption of the authorities, the mandatory authorities, the temple authorities in Israel. He don't even care. He goes right after it. 
And so that brings us to today's passage, which is Authority Wednesday. Remember I told you we were going to add new names to the Holy Week because, you know, you had Palm Sunday, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday. We're adding each, you know, so it was Temple Tuesday. Now this is Authority Wednesday. We're going to, we're going to celebrate that this year. I'm just, we're not going to celebrate it. Have your Authority Wednesday. Yes, we are going to celebrate it. We're going to celebrate it with Twinkies. So that day, everybody in church are going to eat Twinkies together for Authority Wednesday. I have spoken. You will submit. No, I'm saying. You know, you don't like Twinkies. Ding dongs, then. All right, they're chocolate ones. This is Authority Wednesday, where the scribes and the Pharisees challenge the mandatory authority that Jesus has declared. Look, they already put up with Palm Sunday, Monday. They put up with those adoring crowds, calling him Messiah. That was a bad enough start to the Passover week, right? This unapproved rabbi, Jesus, taking all their attention away. But Temple Tuesday, clearing out all the corrupt merchants and the money changers, the nerve of this guy. And then he takes over the court of the Gentiles, doesn't let anyone else in that's trying to sell stuff. He does this without permission. And then he teaches all day. And then he has the nerve after doing that on Temple Tuesday, he comes back the next day on Authority Wednesday You understand what's happening here, right? All political sides on this, the liberals and the conservatives, the liberals, the Sadducees, they loved Rome. They loved all, all the benefits that government provided. The Pharisees hated Rome. They wanted Rome out. So the liberals and the conservatives, all of them thought he was an affront because his teachings were a full on indictment of the whole authority structure. His teaching couldn't be labeled as liberal. It couldn't be labeled as conservative. It was wholly unique to itself. And now for two days, he has caused public humiliation for them. It is a harsh repudiation. It is a threat to their power, their security. They are the establishment. This challenge to their mandatory authority cannot go unanswered. And they, these priests, and the Pharisees and the scribes, they are gripped with fear. And so they kind of asked the question, who do you think you are? So after Temple Tuesday, what happened is everyone went home after this, clearing the temple and preaching all day in the court of the Gentiles. Everyone went home and told their friends, you got to see this guy, Jesus. Hopefully he'll come back today. You won't believe what he did. He cleared it out. All those people that have been ripping us off for years, he kicked them out, wouldn't let them back in. And then he started preaching about how he's going to tear this temple down in three days and build it up again. So everybody's excited. They all come back on Wednesday, hoping Jesus shows up. They're all full of expectation, and they just cannot get enough of this rabbi they're calling Messiah. So Authority Wednesday, the scripture says in, in Mark that Jesus is walking in the temple. It doesn't mean they caught him right when he moved into the entrance. That, that Greek word in means around and about. He's walking around the temple, all through the temple. He's walking throughout the whole temple compound. He is no longer just teaching in the court of the Gentiles. He's going to every court, every porch, every awning, every building, everywhere. He's all through it. Understand the temple is many acres. It's huge. With massive courtyards, he's roaming all throughout. Huge crowds are following him everywhere. He, Jesus, at this point, is in complete 
control of the whole facility. He's moving about freely. There is no place he can't go or that he's afraid to go. It's like one big, huge, massive college campus, and he is the only professor, and everybody loves him. He has declared full authority, not only for the temple itself, but what is being taught in it. He's in complete control. He's teaching how the temple has failed Israel. It has no spiritual fruit like the fig tree. And he will be tearing it down in three days and rebuilding it. All the other rabbis are trying to gather their own following there. They're trying to do the same thing. They walk around. They try to get people to listen to them. They're impotent. Nobody's listening to them. They don't care what these other rabbis have to say. Yeah, I'm not listening to you. I'm I'm, I'm listening to this guy. See ya. Yeah, I know that you're my uncle. It doesn't matter. I'm listening to Jesus. It's completely outrageous. The priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, they are all gripped with anxiety as the world that they know, the world they have built for themselves, is under severe threat over this display of mandatory heavenly authority. Nobody had ever dared challenge the temple authority like this before. He's going to ruin their power structure. They must find a way to discredit him before they can kill him. And so they ask him a question. By what authority are you doing these things, or who gave you this authority to do them? The problem is, guys, this isn't really an honest question. They don't want to know. It's rhetorical, because in their minds, they are the temple authority. We didn't give you permission. Who do you think you are? See, what happens is, what their goal is here, is they want to make Jesus look like a blasphemer against the temple. Hopefully, they're saying, you know, the people love him, but if we make him into a blasphemer, they will not stand for that. They will turn their back on him. So that's the history. Now, let's look at the spiritual component. What does God do and Jesus? And what what did he do and why and how does he do it? I want to talk about the authority of Jesus. I've entitled this section, Neither Will I Tell You. So Jesus is there, he's doing all this preaching and teaching in the temple, right? He's taking complete control. They say, who do you think you are? What authority do you have to do this? But Jesus doesn't need to answer their stupid, silly question, their fearful question. He answers only to his Father in heaven. So what he does is, this is great, this this scene. He sets the rules of engagement. He sets the standards, and they don't even realize it, But as they attempt to answer his question, they are going along with his mandatory authority. They are in submission and don't even know it. Isn't that beautiful? He says, tell you what. I will tell you about my authority to teach, what I teach, if you can correctly answer this question. What do you know about John the Baptist, JTB? Was his ministry of man, in other words, was it political? Or was it inspired and sanctioned by God? Spiritual, heavenly. Where does authority come from? You answer that question first, answer it correctly, and then and only then will I tell you why I have the authority to do what I've done these last two days in your beloved temple. See what Jesus did here? He doesn't answer their question. He doesn't have to. He has zero fear of them. He actually is in authority. He's also demonstrating to them 
where their power came from. It's not the same place as John the Baptist or his. They realize now that our power is of man. It's not of God. And his response is a powerful, public, and fearless first century, question, uh, first century equivalent of, wait, who are you? Who this? For you millennials. Fearless Jesus. I want to talk about fearless Jesus. I want to talk about the use, Jesus' use of the word authority. He takes a word that sounds like authority and he adds something else to it. And that's what makes this word incredibly fascinating. It's far beyond your initial association of the word authority to the idea of power or government. It's much different than that. Ready? It's the Greek word exousia. Flowing out, exousia. And it means the freedom and liberty to do as one sees fit. That's the word Jesus used. Tell you what, you answer the question about JTB and I'll tell you why I'm free to do what I do. I will tell you why I have freedom to do and teach whenever, however, to whomever I please. You see, Jesus never had to ask permission. He never ran things by the temple rulers or Rome. During his earthly ministry, he operated with complete, total liberty and freedom, total Fearlessness. He was never afraid of losing power. He was never afraid of ticking anyone off. He always operated in complete fearlessness. It comes from this point right here. He explains why in Matthew 28, 18. <clears throat> Jesus came and said to them, all, just to the disciples later on, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's why he was fearless. Because his authority, like John the Baptist, came from where? Not man, but heaven. See, when he taught, this is great, when he taught it was always his truth. He never quoted, never learned from other people. He didn't have a mentor or a professor. He was free from the traditional teachings. He never quoted other teachers. He never quoted other scribes. He never referred to other rabbis. He never piggybacked on someone else's credibility. Well, I'm telling you this because Rabbi so-and-so said it 100 years ago. He never did any of that. He even lived in complete freedom from the laws of nature with power to bend them in any way that he saw fit for his purposes. Whatever he did, whether he taught, wherever he went, it was because he wanted to. Jesus is the full embodiment of liberated, free authority. So let's look at these fearful Pharisees. If the scribes and Pharisees were upset before, they're about to become, and I've learned this phrase the last, I guess the last year, they've become a flock of raging Karens. Anybody heard that, Karens? They're about to become a flock of Karens. See, these men assumed they were the authority, they were the masters, and now Jesus is ripping their power from their grip. See, truth isn't their moral compass. Preserving their own power is their compass. Their fear shows that they actually have no confidence in their authority. Well, if we say JTB's message was authority with authority from heaven, he will trap us by saying, oh, why did you reject him if it's from heaven? And if we say JTB's message is from man, 
meaning political, the people will be angry because they believe John the Baptist truly was a prophet from God. So we cannot answer this question either way. What is this showing? This is fear. It indicates that their authority is a complete facade. They live in fear, not authority. They are in complete self-preservation mode. They decide on a response that can only be described really as gutless. It's a cop-out. Well, Jesus, we don't know. Heaven, earth, we have no idea. Jesus responds, okay. Well, then neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. If we were there, it would be the modern-day equivalent of O-snap. That's what it would be. It would be like something that everybody has seen. He just went off on them. They have no answer. And Jesus says, well, I'm not going to tell you anything. What does it mean? He says, not only do you not have authority here in this temple like you thought you did, you don't even have the freedom to ask me this question. See, he is revealing their authority was political. It's a facade. His authority, like John the Baptist, is on a whole other level. And the result, since these men feel powerless, is they are gripped with fear, and they now will be operating in bondage to it the rest of their lives, and they don't even understand why. So let's talk about the personal section. I want to talk about fear versus freedom. This was the Sunday Sermon Preview this week. Life is a binary choice between bondage or submission to the authority of Jesus. Think about the harshness of that phrase. Life is a binary choice between bondage or submission to Jesus. See, there are two very crucial applications for you that I want you to come home with today. For Christians, in this passage, one application is demonstrated by the priests, the scribes, and the Pharisees, and the other one is demonstrated by Jesus himself. The first application I want you to see is this idea of fear and bondage. Look what John, uh, Jesus says in John eight thirty four. Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Those that ran the temple thought they were in authority, but they lived in fear and bondage of losing that authority. Their fear of people's reactions to how they would answer Jesus' question reveals their authority was from where? Man. They really had no control. And now that they realize it, it's frightening to them. You know, don't we struggle with the same thing? Fear of losing control of our own lives, our own agenda, our own destiny, our own goals. That's what fear is. Fear is always the threat of losing control. When we think we might lose our life, that is fear. See, many tend to see submission to Jesus the same way that these scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees did. Meaning, if I submit to Jesus, I'm going to lose some control of my own authority and destiny. Now, while, understand, we would never outwardly acknowledge Jesus' heavenly authority is a problem like they did. <clears throat> what we do instead is we outwardly acknowledge Jesus' heavenly authority while desperately, secretly grasping to the mirage of our own earthly control, do we not? We'll sing, Jesus is king, but then we'll cordon off his authority when it begins to interfere with our own desires or our own agenda or our own goals. 
Again, not as outrageous as the Pharisees. Ours is a more passive-aggressive rebellion. It's our way of saying, when we cordon off his authority and we, and we deny it, it's our way of saying, Jesus, by what authority do you have to command me to do that? By what authority, Jesus, do you command me to do things like seek first your kingdom over my own? Love my neighbor as myself? Who are you to tell me to do that? Put other people's interests, even financial and political, before my own? Who are you? You want me to abandon my own attempts at self-righteousness? What authority do you have to do that, Jesus? By whose authority do you command me to trust in your promises over the promises of the world that I can see and experience? Who are you again? Yes, you're Jesus, and, and we acknowledge that, but ultimately, this is my life. This is my temple, and I will call the shots. Now, Jesus, where your plan aligns with mine, awesome. When that happens, I will take up my cross every day and follow you. But when it doesn't, well, then submission to your authority will become more voluntary than mandatory, if you get my drift. We may not say it verbally, church, but that's exactly what our actions are saying about how we see his authority. We see it as voluntary. Because we are, just like them, we are afraid that submission to Jesus, listen carefully, it just might cost us a little bit more than we thought. A little bit more than we were willing to pay. We're afraid we might miss out on some of the things this beautiful world has to offer. And as a result, we begin to make poor choices that damage relationships, cause guilt, regret, resentment, and now all of a sudden we too become slaves to fear. Now let's talk about freedom. <clears throat> Romans 6, 17 and 18. Watch this. But thanks be to God that, who you, that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. See, it seems, and we're almost done here, so stick with me, but it seems counterintuitive, doesn't it, that the path to true freedom and fearlessness lies in submission? Doesn't that seem kind of... You mean submission gives freedom? But there is immense comfort and freedom and safety in those times, and you could probably testify to this, like the song that Megan taught us today, you could probably testify that there have been times where freedom and safety and comfort came when we surrendered our authority to Jesus. You remember those moments? When you finally, in those moments, those glorious moments where you did submit to the mandatory, mandatory authority of Jesus and you had this burden lifted. Remember the word study I gave you earlier, the word for authority being used for freedom? That's what living under your, the authority of Jesus is. The joy of true freedom that comes from the moment we relinquish our silly facade of control over our long and short-term destiny. To Jesus. The safe harbor of submission to Jesus that yields wisdom to discern evil and good, that gives us protection from the consequences of our own bad choices, 
Submission to Jesus that provides the ultimate liberation for our fearful, frightened souls that are enslaved to the fear of losing control of our self-service and our sinful passions. The result is a life in submission that learns true joy and satisfaction comes from living for others, living for the kingdom of heaven. Galatians 5.13, look at this verse. Paul writes this, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. See, this was the antithesis of what motivated the Pharisees and the priests and the scribes, right? Because they didn't have the gift of faith. They They did not have eyes to see or ears to hear. But to you, O Christian, you have been given eyes to see and ears to hear. So today, I'm inviting you into full submission. Not convenient, partial, cost-benefit analysis submission to Jesus. I'm calling you to full submission. Now, will you be perfect? Well, no. We will fail. But full submission to the authority of Jesus lets us know that when we fail, we will have the wisdom and discernment and the freedom to be free from embarrassment and see it, confess it, repent from it, and move forward. Come today, Christian. Be free from the bondage of fear that you might lose control free from the facade of earthly power, earthly satisfaction. Come today, Christian. Come live in the freedom of submission to the authority of our beloved Jesus, who gave his life so that we might live. Heavenly Dad, first thing we do is we confess to you that we are always looking for ways to cordon off your authority in our lives. We do a good job with it, with secrecy, With denial, we're really good at rationalization. (laughs) We're really good at that. Lord, we confess to you, that's not where we want to live. We want to have full, free submission to your authority so that we can be set free from the burden of fear. You said in your word, if any man lays down his life for my sake, he will save it. Lord, give us courage to step out of the bondage and every day declare, today, even if I'm not perfect, I am in complete submission to your authority. And then from there, Jesus, let us celebrate the freedom in Christ that we have. And let us, please, Jesus, make sure that we do not use that freedom for our own benefit, but for the benefit of serving others. Amen. Boy, authority is great when it comes from our Jesus, doesn't it? A leader who's willing to die for you, that's the kind that I want to follow. Guys, I hope you have a great week. I'm thankful for all of you that are here today and for those that are watching online. Uh, We'll be back here next week. Don't forget to sign up. Uh, I think uh, for those that that have children, I think sign up for child care starts like on Wednesday or something like that. The other sign-ups will be available earlier in the week. But we love you. Have a great week. If you need anything, let us know. We've got you.